Welcome to The Strategy Show. I'm Simon Severino, your host. This is a very special episode. You are going to get our long, deep, beautiful conversation with David Elm, the founder of GTD, the productivity guru himself. Welcome to The Strategy Show. We explore with real people how to develop and deploy strategies that work. David has been called one of the most influential thinkers on productivity worldwide. He worked with companies like New York Life, the World Bank, the Ford Foundation, LL Bean, the US Navy, and many more. He consulted and coached the most senior top executives worldwide. He's the president of the David Allen Company, which operates worldwide. His work has been featured in Fortune, Fast Company, the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, and the Wall Street Journal, and many more. His book, Getting Things Done, was published in more than 12 countries. He moved from the US to Amsterdam, where we spent one day with him. And here are the highlights. David, what's on your calendar today? Today, hang out with you. You're on my calendar. Nothing else, no other hard landscape today. I have a lot of other things as soon as we stop doing what we're doing. I have a lot of other things to choose from that I could do, but otherwise, this is it. How free would you rate yourself from one to 10? Well, you're gonna have to back up a little bit and tell me what you mean by free. That, was, that would be my next question, was your yeah. definition of freedom? The ability to make choices um, with limited constraints and follow my intuitive hunches about what to do. I'd rate myself at probably 9.5. He said 9, I said 10. Mm. We're, we're, we're <laughs> and um, most of us and uh, our community, we would rate ourselves much lower. How can we get there? Um, well, uh, a very simple solution to that, and everybody's involved in that solution already, get older. Because <laughs> <laughs> just get older. <laughs> no, 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 come on. Well, get older with an appropriate sort of focus about your focus and what yeah. to do with it. Yeah. You know, so I'm 73, and I probably feel freer now than I uh, maybe ever have in a way and part of it's, you know, there's, 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 there's financial freedom, there's emotional freedom, there's mental freedom, there's sexual freedom, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of versions of freedom. And I am a freedom guy, by the way. I'm, that's kind of how I'm wired. I mean, don't fence me in, you know. So whatever, that's a lot of how I came up with the GTD process to begin with. So I wasn't held hostage by my own either negative thinking or incomplete thinking you know, about things that I am engaged with. So that's how I kind of came up with this. But yeah, freedom takes a lot of forms. When, when I do my GDD, which is basically I, I load off what has my attention, I find myself being in a victim mode a lot. Like, especially when I'm tired or I, I was on planes uh, that, that week, they say, oh my God, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. And this mental program says, I have to. And um, I'm wondering, uh, how do you deal with it to find another stance yeah. towards well, it? have to can take a lot of forms. Mm -hmm. The negative emotion of it is, oh God, I have to, but I shouldn't have to, but I now, now I have to, oh damn. Or 
I have to because the fire, the, the building is on fire and I need to get out of here. I have to survive. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, that's absolutely you know, an appropriate driver. Right, so have to maybe, it really all has to come down to what are your agreements with yourself? What are your values? What are your standards? What's, what matters to you? You know, if being alive matters to you, then obviously getting out of a burning building is going to create some have tos. That's not a bad thing. That's a necessary thing to get you dr driven and to pump your adrenaline and to get you out of the building, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. So when you say uh, you find yourself in victim mode, I would say you might want to rethink whether that's I'm, I have to because I've made a wrong commitment or wow, here's another opportunity to improve my life and to move the needle on things I'm committed to. And that may be just your own internal comfort zone about whether you like to beat yourself up or not. It could very well be, God, look at all the options of things I could do today that are going to move forward a whole lot of things. Thank you, God, that I have you know, an experience and a life that I have all these options. Is it about tracking my values or my priorities or my purpose? What yeah. is it that gives All me that. direction? All that. What matters to you? Come on, Simon. What really matters to you? You don't care where you live as long as what's true. You don't care what kind of work you do as long as what's true. You don't care who you work with or who you live with as long as what's true. So those are ult you know, kind of ultimate drivers of the things that really matter to us. And you don't want to be off purpose of that, otherwise that'll grab your attention. You know, I'm married to the wrong person. I'm living in the wrong city. I'm, I'm doing the wrong work. Yeah. So paying attention to those will start to perhaps clarify for you what some of your core values really are. And then managing that. Yeah, well, great. What's the outcome you're after? What would you like to have instead? And what's the next action? So GTD will be, can be then applied to all of those things. But GTD doesn't focus you on your priorities. It focuses you on what's real right now. So you don't, you don't set priority, you have them. So all I have to do is just get you to really unload what's got your attention and we'll find, you'll see what your values are. Just so by simply, what are those things that you've already committed to? I need cat food, why? I have a cat, why do you have a cat? Well, I love pets, well, why do you love pets? Well, they kind of open your heart when you come home and it's fun to do that. So, well, why does opening your heart and having fun matter to you? Well, I'm a better person. I'm, a, you know, I, you know, my 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 spouse, you know, appreciates me a lot more when I'm in a better mood. It allows me to, yeah, right. So anything you're doing, you know, ultimately can track back up to whatever your core values are. But see, GTD, what's perhaps unique about this is that we start with where you are, not with where you should be. You said what's real. So the opposite would be what. What's made up, what's fantasy, what's not real, what's dishonest. I'm really happy and you're not. That's dishonest. That's not real. What's real is, I like to say I'm happy because I don't like to address the fact that I feel really depressed right now and I'm just trying to show up really good. Well, that's honest. So a lot of it's about, you know, back in the old, you know, well, what's truth? Who knows what tr the ultimate truth of the universe is? I mean, I'd like to figure that out. But there's the relative truth. What's really true for you right now? How are you feeling? You know, what are you, what's going on? How, how are you feeling about this interview? How's it going? So that's what, it's, it's a relative truth. It just means I'm authentic. I think authenticity is really a, a, a core key element to both success. You deal with a lot of entrepreneurs and startups and people like that. And people often ask me in those environments, I say, David, what key advice would you have if I'm giving, a, if, if I'm doing a pitch or if I'm trying to be, you know, successful with what I do. I just say, be authentic, you know, be who you are.
I saw that on your website. You said something about that. And I said, yeah, we went through a transition ourselves where a lot of my early image was I was a big corporate guy with a tie and, you know, kind of OCD. And, you know, at least people had that image of me because the first edition of Getting Things Done was really targeted to the fast track professional uh, environment because that was my experience with working with people in that environment. And those were the hungriest people, you know, for what I was saying. So I kind of dressed myself up in the costume for that. But at a certain point, I went, wait a minute, that's kind of inauthentic because when people would meet me, they go, God, you're nothing like <laughs> what I thought you were going to be having read your book. We said, well, okay, there's a, there's a delta here between you know, who we really are, how I really am, what we really want to communicate to people, and how it's showing up out there in the world. It was appropriate for the time. But that's one of the reasons I wrote the new addition to Getting Things Done, was to loosen it up, lighten it up a lot, and really be more... You know, no tie on, you know, more of my sort of spontaneous hangout, you know, be myself kind of person. What we do with corporations uh, in about strategies that are more and more real and authentic and respect based and connecting is very much inspired by the GTD process that I experienced the last five weeks since I read your, uh, five years since I read your book. And um, there are some moments where I see. I unload and then I have to clarify why do I commit? Do I commit? Why? Do I commit or not? Why not? And, um, and it's always a, a mini sequence of checking my values and checking the, the walk and the talk. And especially when I do the weekly review, which is not every week, but it's... Um, me neither. Recurring. So I don't, when do you do your worry. weekly review? As soon as I realize I have to, and usually that's pretty much every seven or ten days. But yeah, yeah. it's a tricky, tricky habit to build. Yeah. Yeah, and it it allows me, together with meditation, to become a little bit more true to myself because there's nobody seeing my lists, so I can write the real right. stuff, and and then I allow myself to accept more and more of that. Um. What is your take on acceptance? Oh, it's the first key of spirit as far as I'm concerned. You know, in my spiritual work that I've been doing for consciously for 50 years, you know, that's absolutely the first thing. Anything you resist, you're stuck with. It's an old self-development, you know, aphorism. So the acceptance means, doesn't mean you have to like it. It just means you better not assume that it shouldn't be here. You know, it is what it is. Right? You've got to accept the weather out there. I mean, it's kind of rainy and windy out there right now. If you, if you said, I don't like this, it shouldn't be this way, good luck. You're not going to put on the right gear. Right? Somebody said, there's no bad weather, there's a bad clothes. Right? So you just have to accept the weather and then, then you strategize around it. So you know, you're involved in strategy for companies. Uh, the big problem is companies that complain about stuff or are afraid about stuff as opposed to accepting that's the truth and that's a possibility. And now we need to strategize around that. Anybody in their company that doesn't assume and expect that senior management politics is gonna be a key driver to a lot of stuff, if you try to resist that, complain about it, be a victim of it, you're not gonna strategize around it. As opposed to, hmm, that's probably gonna happen. Whose game do I need to play right now to get what I really want? So understanding and accepting what the reality is allows you to then be appropriately strategic, personally, professionally, spiritually, any other way. So acceptance is a whole lot of it. And it's, I think a lot of why, you know, a lot of people probably resist the getting things done in the GTD processes because it's going to force you to accept all the commitments you've made with yourself. And most people haven't a clue. 
how many things they would, could, should, ought to, might want to, oh yeah, I need to, or whatever. Because you can only remember one at a time, and most people have just you know, filed this huge amount of inventory of those kinds of things internally and have created this sense of angst, you know, angst, you know, in your language, uh, that, that they don't know where the source of it is. But the source is basically a lot of commitments that you haven't accepted or haven't agreed or acknowledged or, or been willing to say, yes, I agreed to do that. You know, now am I really going to do that or not? And that's a lot of what the GTD process does and invites people and challenges people to do, is get real, accepting what has your attention. Should I get divorced? What am I going to do about this tooth problem that I just came up with? What am I going to do about hiring a VP of marketing or should I get a CTO first? How would you handle this question, should I get divorced? Would you do a project? How would yeah. you handle it? Yeah. There are no problems, there are only projects. Right? So what's the project? What, what would my desired outcome be? Get clarity with me and my life partner about how we need to you know, manage our relationship. That's a project. Goes on your project list? That's a pro goes on a project list. What's the next action? Oh God. I should talk to him or her, or I need to talk to a counselor, or I need to surf the web and see who, you know, God knows. Maybe I just need to sit down and draft ideas, pros and cons. You know, but it's all outcome and action. The problem is, is a lot of people get their attention wrapped around some pretty subtle, some pretty profound stuff, but then they don't sit down and walk themselves through the clarification process. You know if you've done the, the second level of the getting things done you know, training, which is projects and priorities, which gets you to focus on, wait a minute, what are all those things that really have your attention? Come on, let's get honest, get real, and get some acceptance that that's going on. See, a lot of people don't want to think about these until they have a solution, as opposed to, wait a minute, here's the thing, my outcome is to have a solution. I don't have to have the solution to identify that that's something I want, and then what's the next thing I need to do to start to move forward getting a solution? And boy, just that change for anybody listening or watching this would be huge in transformation. There is one quote that I'm pondering, one quote of yours. Are you ready to be ready? <laughs> yeah. Could you elaborate on that? Sure. Well, if I'm not talking to you, if I'm not doing anything else, I'm going to be cleaning up my backlog of things that have shown up in my world that are potentially meaningful. I'm capturing, clarifying, and organizing those and getting that backlog zeroed out. Why? Because when something's coming to me that I can't expect, the smaller my backlog of uncaptured, unclarified, unorganized stuff, the easier it is for make a free, spontaneous decision about that's the thing to do or not. The bigger my backlog, I'm going to go, oh my God, I got a bunch of stuff there I haven't finished thinking about or deciding about and I don't know what it is and it might be more important than whatever this thing coming at me and so whatever's coming at you either invitation or, or challenge or an opportunity, if you didn't expect it, you're not ready to make that choice from a clear, optimally cognitive space. So that's why staying clear, being present, and doing whatever you need to do to be clear is going to make it a lot easier. You know, I got a black belt in, in karate back in my 20s, and if four people jump me in a dark alley, I do not want 2,000 unprocessed emails hanging somewhere in my psyche. I can't afford that. Where is the fine line, I, I, I'm thinking, precastination and getting ready for what's not here? Because I'm a, a big-time precastinator. So right now, I know I have 270 emails and that's making me crazy right now. I know it right now in my bones <laughs> because I'm a precastinator. Uh, so 
I, after this, I will search for one hour, and after that, I'm a little bit relaxed. Um, but where am I tricking myself into going uh, too fast, going for fast forward, and where is it getting ready to be present? Because in three hours, the New York Times could call me, and then uh, I want to be ready because they want an article. It's all relative, Simon. So, you know, ultimately, um, there's always going to be backlog. You know, as, I, as we're speaking, emails piling up in my, in my email right now. So there's stuff, and, and I hear you, but, and there's a kind of a zen space, you know, to get to, where once you trust you know what the game is, you can let it all pile up, because you know you'll get clean up soon enough. It's fine. And you want to give yourself the freedom to just get on a roll and just say, screw it, in terms of all that stuff piling up. Because I know I will get it empty soon enough. And if it's a real emergency, they can get me. You know, and they'll know how to do that. So there is kind of an acceptance of the game that you never are totally perfect at this game, but that because you know the game, you can relax. The game is the process, trusting the process that trusting you know how to ninja right. it down. Right. So you know, we use the surfing metaphor often in our trainings. So a good surfer knows that they're probably going to crash and burn you know, on some big wave. But that's okay, because they know how to surf. They know how to get back on the board. They've got an ankle tether that ties them to the board so they can get back on. So that gives them the freedom to take more risks and to kind of let things get out of control. Here's kind of the bad news for anybody who's really a GDD fan, is the better you get, the more likely you are to be really stupid and radical and just let things fall off the edge of the world, just following your spontaneous hunches, because you know you can clean up. But I think that's a cool thing. So it's really just the game out right there. There's no, there's, no, there's no perfection on this level. It's just how, how excellent can I be about that? What you don't want to do is be beating yourself up about not having that totally perfect. There is no totally perfect. There is also a second risk that I experience. I think I got it. I know now how to do this kind of projects. Now I can take on bigger ones. Bigger I know, ones. I know. And as we say, the better you get, the better you'd better get. Because as you, the more confidence you have, the bigger things you're willing to take on. You know, hey, give it to me. I'll just throw it in my in basket because I know I will know how to take that and then make that implemented, you know, in a way. And I know how to do that. I know how to take anything out there and actually make it happen because the getting things done methodology is actually actually works. So anything that you want, and it could be clarity about resolution about. Um, a finality about any of that. And so, yeah, you know, that confidence, which I think is really cool. I think we all kind of have that. You wouldn't even incarnate it on the planet if some, unless some part of you said, give it, you know, bring it on. Because <laughs> you know? it's coming on, right? I think we cannot control things, but sometimes we can be in control versus lose yeah. control. What's your take on it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, control, and I don't know how it translates in many other languages, but certainly in English it could mean two different things. And, you know, I'm, when I say control, it's not about trying to control the weather or your kids or your boss, you know, or, or the stock market. I mean, good luck. It's like being having something under control. How under control is it your relationship to the stock market and your investments? How under control is it right now your relationship with your kids? How under control is it right now with your relationship with the weather. So it's really having something under control, like your car is under control while you're driving, a meeting is under control, that it's on purpose and focused, 
your head is under control, your desk is under control, your email is under control. So sure. So having something under control just means it's stable enough so that I'm not trying to get control anymore. I'm trying to now use the system and the context to be doing bigger and better thinking and, and intuiting and whatever you do once the situation is okay. So if your kitchen's out of control, it's hard to be creative about spaghetti, right? So you want to get the kitchen under control so that then you can be crazy. So another way I say that is that, you know, your most creative and productive state from my experience is when you have the freedom to make a mess. But if you're in a mess, you can't make one. So whenever I'm got something messy, I'm going to try to clean it up so that it gives me the freedom to make another mess. I hope my wife is watching this <laughs> because <laughs> when I cook with, with my, with my three-year-old son, yeah. we are the chef cook, chef cook. <laughs> we are big chefs. And chef then, Simon. Yeah. <laughs> and then I say, now Federico, mise en place, mise en place. Yeah. And the first thing we put everything in, and I enjoy this process so much. Yeah. Yeah. Our audience asked us, how do I find focus? Because the next one will be when I lose it, how do I get back on track, yeah. but first, how do I get focused? Well, that's a good question. Actually, you can't stop focusing. You're focusing all the time. If you're conscious, you're focusing on something. Whatever is on your mind is a focus that you have. You're allowing yourself to focus on whatever is on your mind, right? So when people say, how do I focus? They probably mean, how do I more appropriately focus on what I think I ought to focus on, as opposed to where my focus is going. So you can't stop focusing. Uh, all, all you'd have to do to really focus is to, is to have your, let's just go light your building on fire, right? Or start an earthquake and watch how you'll, you, you, you won't have any problem focusing because you get very clear about your outcome, live, right? With as minimal pain, right? So you're going to be focused immediately. You can't help it. So you already have the capability to focus. What you may not have is a strong enough outcome that you've identified with that causes you to have that kind of specific focus as opposed to focusing on other things. That's why I say, if you watch my first TED talk, TED, TEDx talk that I did in, in, at Claremont you know, three or four years ago, uh, it, actually when you're in crisis, a lot of people relax more because you don't have all the options. It just eliminates choice. You know, called live becomes your primary focus. And it gets you in your zone. So ideally, what you want to do is not wait till a crisis forces you to have that kind of focus. But the question would be, what would you like, what would you like to have true and how important is that to you? As you know, from a strategy standpoint, working with people, that, that, that is what the focus of a business needs to be, is what the focus of an individual needs to be at any point in time. Now, what are you really trying to accomplish? What really matters to you? And if nothing does, enjoy the fact that you can free focus on whatever shows up. So it's not about everybody should be focused on that. No, only if that matters to you. you know, it could very well be that you need to kind of give up your focus or give up trying to focus. Enjoy serendipity. Let yourself just enjoy what pops into your mind as it pops into your mind. That's what vacations are about and that's what now new cognitive science research has basically validated called your brain needs to rest from focus mm. to be able to be able to focus well. If you're not getting eight to nine hours of sleep a night, or taking naps in the afternoon when you need to, as opposed to coffee, you know, you're suboptimizing your focus. You you need to bring you need to, to you need to daydream. You know, give yourself about ninety seconds, and then you better get up and walk around. 
so that your brain gets to relax because you know now a good friend and a, a brilliant book out there brain chains by Theo Comprinoli. Mm -hmm. a lot of curated research about cognitive stuff and primary thing is there's the aspect of your brain called archiving which is once you've gone through the complexity of your day like you and I have right now and all of this at some point we need to stop and our brain a lot more has been going on even in our conversations here than we consciously could actually register or manage or, or optimize. So what we're going to do about this. But when we stop and rest, our brains will. And so the archiving process happens when you stop that kind of intense focus consciously. And you can do that either by daydreaming or certainly by napping. Sleep is the, is the optimal way to be able to do that. So there's a lot of stuff going on here relative to focus. So, so even having divergent uh, or lazy activities would be part of um, raising focus yeah. for the day. Yeah, I, and I used to think I'm just a lazy guy, so I love doing those kind of things. Now, given the new cognitive research, I'm just smart and sophisticated. <laughs> I'm now optimizing my cognitive process because <laughs> I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> but we understand eh? there's, a, there's a reason for that. Most inventions uh, came during yeah, shower. They came and... after that. You you still need interestingly because the uh, you know the research that I've read, it does help to sleep on a problem, simply because that allows you to go beyond the, your conscious conditioning and see relationships that your conscious mind would not see. So waking up with a solution to a problem is a fairly common event, but you have to have the intention to solve the problem. So first, before right, you before need to, you need to want the, to the answer. Edge. Yeah. And then go to sleep. Yeah. Face it, work right. it through, and then let it go. That's right. right. Yeah. Letting go. Uh, that's my screensaver. It says let go. How, how can we possibly do that? Relax. Focus on your breathing. It's a fast way. The mindfulness people come up with that. I came up with it 35 years ago in martial arts. Just focus on your breathing in case you're in pain or in case you just want to be present. Be ready for surprise and people jumping you. That, because that's a fast way to get present. And so that's a way to let go of fear of the past or regret of the past, fear of the future. Because all, those all come from the ego. That, 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 whose job, really, our ego is really its job is to kind of protect us and give us enough of a protective shell so that we actually go engage with the world as opposed to being some sensitive blob that'll just you know, dissolve when you walk out in the street. You need some sort of a shell or protection around you. You just don't want, you want that to be a, a support, not a limitation. But the limitation becomes you get hung up on the past, you get afraid of the future, and you know those things then will prevent you from being present. So control is the master human addiction. People are killing themselves and each other as we speak just to maintain or achieve a sense of psychological control that they feel like they don't have. And so you know it's a very powerful driver. So learning to undo that or to not let that drive you and not be hung up by that is a, is a real core to real freedom. So now I had focus, but I get interrupted. What do I do? Well, first of all, you need to acknowledge that there are no interruptions, just mis mismanaged inputs. Interrupted? Why? Your kid started crying? You had a kid. <laughs> That's your job, right? Interruption. Uh, your boss just walked in. I'm sorry, you took the job. Your boss is your boss. They have the right to control your allocation of resources. What, what, what interruption? What's an interruption? 
something that you shouldn't have had let come into your life, or something that you said, yes, I am letting that in my life, but I also want to do some other things instead of that. That's just management. So take it, put it where it belongs. Yeah, or stop getting it. How to say no? In o nine no in an appropriate way in a business context (laughs) yeah we say well gee simon that's a really cool thing you're asking me to do right now that is such an interesting and fascinating thing i just don't have the bandwidth to give that the attention that thing really deserves right now could you just write me a note throw that man basket or send me an email about that so i can give it the appropriate attention it deserves probably a more elegant way to navigate those kinds of things it's beautiful. I will write it down yeah. for our audience. Or just go to work for you know somewhere that everybody does GTD, where it's quick and it's quiet. Would you prefer a company with where everybody does GTD, or a company where everybody does Holacracy but no GTD? Oh, GTD is much better. And Brian Robertson, one of the founders of Holacracy, would tell you that. He said, if you had to choose, GTD is the choice. That's how he discovered Holacracy or formulated it. Was, you know, he fell in love with GTD and it was a religious experience for him. He said, but, but when I walk into my company, it's not as clear as I can get for myself. So Brian and Tom Thomason and the folks who, who developed Holacracy were just brilliant at how, at how to try to manage you know, an operating system that could handle the complexity the exponential complexity that happens when two or more get, get, get gathered together in terms of understanding your agreements with each other. Our community asked, how do I overcome procrastination? Now, first, what is procrastination? And uh... yeah. Well, procrastination, I think somebody told me, I didn't actually look it up, but that the etymology of the word procrastination just means not doing something today. You know, that you could do today. Well, come on. How many things are you not doing right now? A lot. Yeah. How many things am I not doing right now? By the way, uh, I was just in South Africa and our, our new partner there, you know, William Elliott, fabulous guy. He's a psychotherapist, but he's a huge champion of GTD and now a master trainer there. And he starts out his, his seminars and his presentations about GTD with, he says, my number is 87. What's yours? And people are scratching their head and go, what? He says, my number is 87. He said, that's how many things specifically I am not doing now. He knows exactly. He knows, because he, he, before he does that, he counts them up. Here's all the actions on my action list. And the eight, he had 87. And he said, that's how many I'm not doing. You know, as, as you know, you can only feel good about what you're not doing when you know what you're not doing. So is that procrastination? No, that's just deciding to make a choice of that thing off the menu as opposed to the other 87 things I could have chosen to do. So it's glass half empty, half full. Are you feeling great that you and I talking right now is exactly what you and I need to be doing? Or are we both feeling crappy right now about, oh, God, there's so many other things. You know, I'm not present because I ought to be doing that as opposed to this. The guilt no. feelings. Oh, just, just the encroaching lack of clarity and distractibility of the fact that your brain, you know, when you're holding it, if you're trying to manage this stuff in the office in your head, which, as you know, is a crappy office, you know, that has no sense of past and future in there. So if you can't finish it right away, your brain can handle only about four things and still manage those appropriately. 
you know, if you can't finish them in the moment in terms of keeping track of them and understanding what they are. So most people have a gazillion more than four things going on and banging around in there. And that's what's creating a lot of the stress because that part of you thinks that they should all be being done right now psychologically. And that, obviously you can't do all those right now, so it creates automatic stress when you're doing that. So, if you, so back to your initial question, procrastination, the, the, usually the use of the term out there is ordinarily used when people feel bad that they're not doing something. In other words, I should be writing that article right now, and I don't, I'm going to go play Scrabble on my computer, or I'm going to go water the garden, or I'm going to go drink, or I'm going to, I don't know, whatever people do, whatever we all do, to say, that's ugly, I don't want to get into it, but I know I need to, let me go find something else that feels you know, that relieving in some way, shape, or form. That was a question specifically to you. Please ask David. I'm in a service business, like he was 20 years ago. I'm in a service business, and I have the feeling I have to stop being uh, the obstacle to my company. I have to productize it. Like you wrote a book. You were consulting, but you wrote a book. So we know it's uh, nine hours consulting, and then you try for two hours to write something, to build something. What would you say? Should one really do it the same time? I don't understand the question, Simon. So yeah, so try it again. People who are in a service business, like they're teaching or consulting, and they have this feeling that they should um, productize their services, right. like okay. putting their knowledge into a product like a book or a course. Right. And by doing that, they see that the fantasy is when I have my book, then I will work less. But it needs four, five, 10, 15 years to get to that stage. And in that stage, you are working a lot. So would you do it again? What's your advice to young entrepreneurs going through that right now? I don't know. Keep going. It took me 20, 25 years to realize what I'd figured out and that nobody else had done it and that it was bulletproof because I'm not a ta-da kind of person. I was not going to put this in. This is the, my, my work of 20 years. I wasn't going to put it in that book unless I really, really knew it worked and that there was no, that you couldn't punch a hole in it. So it took me that long to get enough experience to trust that what I'd come up with was, first of all, unique, that nobody else had done it. I was kind of, wow, I thought I was the last guy in the world to learn this. Nobody else seemed to have done it. And also by that time, I tested this model with thousands of hours, quite literally, one-on-one, -on -one, desk side with some of the best and brightest people on the planet you'd ever meet, implementing this methodology and seeing the results that it produced and knowing without exception, you know, it created more space for people. You know, no exception. So at that point, and also doing this and having it become viral in some of, the, some of the companies, if I named them, you'd say, wow, you know, that company would spit you out in about two seconds if you didn't map to the DNA of the best, brightest, and busiest, and most successful people on the planet. And this went viral inside of that environment. So I went, ooh, I guess, okay. Now I can trust I can put this in writing. I'm not saying that anybody should get to that level of confidence. I just don't have that big enough an ego to try to think that I could do it before I had that level of trust in terms of what I knew. But I would just say, you know, get involved. I mean, I, that's how I got involved with all this, just kept doing it and kept talking about it. People asked me about it, and I just kept being engaged, kept being engaged, kept being engaged. And then at some point, I'd, once I discovered it was unique, nobody else had done it, I thought, well, 
And I had some really good business advisors. I had, at some point, we'd sort of changed our company. I'd bought up my, a couple of partners, and it was pretty much had shrunk the thing just to me and Catherine, my wife. And, you know, I still had a reputation out there that it was still working. But I said, I don't know what to do with this now. I don't want to give this, you know, this, I think this thing is really valuable that we've come up with. So I brought together seven or eight or ten of my friends who were good business people and smart and loved me and knew what I was doing. And I just said, gave them, I, you know, spent the money to put them up for a whole day in a nice little, you know, resort hotel right where I lived and said, okay, slap me around. So I just said, okay, guys, what do I do with all of this? And their basic conclusion was write a book. Oh, God, I don't know how to write a book. You know, so that was like... So that's, you know, it took me that long to kind of come up with the, okay, let me see if I can virtualize what it is that I've come up with and put it out in some sort of form. Let's see how much of the world salutes. You're a big reader. Do you have a process for um, reading one book at a time or do you just pick whatever no. comes? Well, frankly, I'm not a big reader. Knowing a lot of people I know that are really big readers, um, mine are just seldom ad hoc, kind of just follow my intuition about, I may read a review about something or somebody in my network mentions something that this kind of rings my bell and, uh, and I'll do that. But basically it's one book at a time. So I, you know, keep it on my nightstand over there or, you know, wherever I sit down, whenever I might want to read or put it in my briefcase if I'm traveling, you know, one at a time, if that. A couple of great books you read in the last months? Yeah. Uh, one I finished, fabulous book, it's called The Antidote um, by Berkman. So just look up The Antidote. It's basically uh, uh, happiness for people who can't stand the self-help movement. You know, it's a great, it's a great book. Um, uh, so, and, and that was, that was extremely good. It has a lot to do with um, the power of acceptance, no matter how you feel, as opposed to try to just go be happy when you may not have a lot of stuff to be happy about. In other words, the happy game is a kind of a shallow game to play, but there's more of a satis satisfaction game to play based upon acceptance of your depression, acceptance of the challenge you're dealing with, acceptance of a lot of that. And that's a lot of, it just sort of mapped to, in, in a strange way, it maps a lot to what GTD is about. Mm. It just you know, it's not about you know. This is not a motivational. I'm not a motivational speaker. It resonates with me. In, in my first years of becoming an entrepreneur, I experienced a, a transition to loneliness, and I was basically alone with these feelings of um, uh, should I give up right now? Should I still try? When do I know that it's the right thing? Uh, which experiments to run next? Uh, with, uh, with whom to really work, who can I trust? All these questions were just with, me, with myself. Right. And um, of course you can take consultants and coaches and you are not alone with that. But in the very end, you are alone with that. And um, I was thinking right now about that, accepting these thoughts and creating space for these thoughts. Is, how do you do that in GTD? Well, interesting, as you're mentioning that, I mean, we've, for many years in our company, when Catherine and I sat down and said, you know, what are our standards as we started to hire people and said, what are, we need to let people know how we operate so that they're not surprised by our decisions and so forth. And one of our core principles was we accept that we're all alone in this together. Mm. Right? You handled you, I handled me, right? 
and then that sense of acceptance, it's kind of like there's, there's, there's a Zen idea of sort of the magnificence of the aloneness on the top, mountaintop, where you're it. And I think that's a place that we all need to existentially come to at some point, because you're going to, you're going to have to anyway. You know, you're it. You, know, you can't trust necessarily that the rest of the world or anybody else or any other source uh, can, can be or do who you are and what you're about. So that's a lifelong process of learning, as far as I'm concerned, and experience and growth and maturity that I've been in. Certainly I've been in. Uh, some people seem to have gotten there sooner than, than I did. But I, I think once you kind of catch that, and GTD is really about getting, putting you in the driver's seat of your life, as opposed to complaining or victimizing yourself. Oh, I'm effect of, well, great, what would you like to have true? Oh, I'd like to have that resolved. Great, what's your next step? And suddenly you're thrown into the saddle as opposed to being run over by the horse, right? And so it's a, it, it, in a way, GTD is kind of a Trojan horse of, of personal growth and self-development. It, what it does is it, it, it automatically kind of gets you into the accountability and the role of, 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 you know, being, of taking control of your life. Would you say GTD is a continuous improvement of, your, of yourself, of your emotions, or of your workflow, or all the three? Mm. I don't know that it's any of that. I think it may be more than any of that. It's really about how do I manage my own agreements with myself. And, you know, um, it doesn't have an emotional content. There's a lot of emotional results that happen when you do it. But I don't care what your mom did to you when you were eight. What's the next action on that piece of paper? Right? I don't care why you're avoiding doing it. You know, that's a black hole to try to dig into from a psychotherapy standpoint about the source of your resistances and your pain and all that. Let's just get you engaged in your life as you've got it right now and get you back in the driver's seat of it. You know, again, I was, as I said, I was just in South Africa and with our partner and, and good friend William, who's a psychotherapist. And I asked him, I said, well, so what's the difference between psychotherapy and GTD? He said, well, what happens is... There's a lot of things that, that he handles in a psychotherapy context that GTD doesn't deal with necessarily. Maybe the source of where a lot of your things come from and understanding those and accepting those and so forth and going, going through all that game. But he said, when I have people who have done GTD, it makes it much clearer and cleaner to, dis to define what those things are. If they haven't done GTD, they have all of that fog and all of that distraction that gets in the way of finding out what the real issues really are. At the end, clarity is, is an outcome of GTD in every yeah. single step. Right? And holacracy too, by the way. Yeah. Both of those are about how do I get clear about what we're doing right now, what I'm doing right now, and being clear about that. Not necessarily liking it. You don't have to, you don't have to like your life to, have, to, to clear your head. And the agreements to your colleagues, which may be implicit and not explicit, not written down, not visualized. Exactly. Which is a big difference. Huge, yeah. What else do I have on my list? It's so great to talk to you. I'm, I'm just floating. Let's see what our community asked. How can I raise my creative confidence? Hmm, I'm not sure what you mean or what they would mean by a creative confidence. If you're saying, how would I raise my ability, my confidence about my creativity? Mm -hmm. Do you think that's what they mean? Yeah, I guess. Hmm. 
go do what you feel like doing. You know, and trust, you know, do you feel like painting? Do you feel like writing poetry? Do you feel like, you know, being creative with how well you're raising your kids? I mean, create, we're all create, being creative all the time. We're creating what we're, whatever we're experiencing. So it's not about being creative. It's about how do I arrange my creativity in a way that is more fulfilling to me, maybe than the way it is right now, in terms of what I'm creating. Because you can create boredom. You can create depression. You can create, you can create all kinds. Of, you know, you can create whatever it is that you're focused on whatever it is that you put your energy and attention to, you, you will be creating. So I think a lot of it's just giving yourself the space to do that, you know, in whatever way you want to do it. You know, I've, I'm sort of famous for a 2.2 year um, quota on my hobbies. About two years, two and a half years is, uh, you know, I was into bonsai, I raised bonsai plants for two years. Um, I, I was in karate about four years. I was a sailor with my own sailboat for about two years, two and a half years. I was a... Intentionally you know, or just by... No, it just so happens. Friend. I was like, wow, I was so fascinated by that. And then I get into it and then I discover what I want to discover about it. And then I kind of get, okay, that's kind of it. You know, energy kind of dies away. And then I go pick the next thing to go explore. Now, that's just me. I'm sort of jack of all trades in terms of hobbies. So, I mean, I could, I got a string this long of you know, how many things I've actually explored and played with. And all those were very creative endeavors. It was just a way to do that. But it was nice using GTD and, you know, my own process to be able to just have the freedom to say, okay, what I feel like doing next. You are in great company. Peter Drucker had a policy for himself just to do a hobby for two years and then to switch. Oh, really? Yeah. I know I never knew that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow, I'm in great company. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, thanks for telling me that. Yeah. Yeah, no, so I'm acrylic painting right now is kind of my current hobby. I always love uh, ikebana and Japanese uh, pottery and plants and, and flower arranging. That's always been, I've always had that aesthetic, so I don't think I'll ever get rid of those. But I think, you know, if you walked into my office right now in that other room, you'll see a, a, a canvas that's just gray. And I stare at it over my computer. Okay, what's next? What do I put on that? You know, it's like, just give yourself a big white space to say, okay, freedom to draw whatever you want to draw. Well, that'll sort of, you know, prime your creativity. A lot of it has to do, I think, with giving yourself the cool tools that you might want to use in whatever arena that might spur your creativity. A whiteboard always helps. You know, just, uh, just a great pen and paper in case you'd like to do that. Writing poetry or just journaling or anything. So sometimes I found it useful to just put myself in a context where it sort of invites me to have creative ideas. That's why Twitter, that's why I love Twitter from the very beginning, because I loved haiku and I loved the ability to be able to say, okay, in 140 characters, now they expanded it, which kind of diffused a lot of the, the spin that it had for me, because I love the challenge to say, what did I learn today and how would I put that in 140 characters or less? So I've, had, I've, I've you know, created at least 1,000 or 1,200 tweets that are kind of interesting, just because the form forced me you know, to be creative in my own thinking about how would I say that in what, what, whatever way. So I think creating creative constraints for your own expression, you know, will certainly, at least in my mind right now, that, that would, you know, give you the opportunity to probably feel more confidence about your creativity. What did you recently change your mind about? Good question. Can't, nothing comes to mind. Change my mind about. 
well, I'm constantly thinking about, should I do this, should I do that? So I think, well, I think I want to do that. No, no, I don't feel like doing that. So I'm, I guess I'm changing my mind all the time in terms of just my spontaneous choosing about where do I put my focus right now or my attention. So, um, but in, in a larger context called what kinds of things have I changed my mind about? Nothing really. My life's in a pretty nice flow. Many questions we got are about parenting and being productive. Is it possible? How can we do that? Parenting is the ultimate productive event. Oh my God. I mean, what a ministry to bring kids into this world and have take on the accountability and responsibility to coach them, you know, to optimize their experience here in life. Oh my God. You know, I, I go, I bow down to parents. So, wow. So if you're saying, how do I manage my responsibilities for parenting along with my other responsibilities? Going, well, welcome to the world. It's called everybody, you know, potentially overcommitting. You just have the stress of opportunity. You know, how many things could you be doing right now? And everybody's, in a sense, these days, you know, if you have any kind of a, if you're not just in survival mode, everybody's got those choices. Wow, how many things, and even just parenting. Oh my God, my kid is just two years old. But my neighbors is three, and they're taking a class where they're listening to Mozart and Bach, and my God, they're going to be able to get into university much better than my two-year-old can. Oh my God, I need to be he or she need to be in that. Class. Oh my God, craziness! Just in terms of the opportunities people have, and the choices they have to make about how to best do all of that kind of stuff. So those are huge projects. So you just have to you know, assess those like you've got those big projects in your life to whatever degree that you've committed to you know, manage those projects. Those are yours. So it's really, you know, the, the question becomes just a universal question about how do I manage multiple agreements that I don't necessarily have all the time or resources to do all of them. And when I see I'm getting overcommitted, overwhelmed, what can I do? Well, you need to identify what are all the commitments you've got. So, hi, try DGD, you know, pen and paper unload your brain, get it all out in terms of all those things. And a lot of it will be, you'll be surprised by how simple some of those things really are, much more than the demons they are when they're just banging around in your head. And sometimes you'll be, you know, amazed by how many things you're actually committed to and the word no will come a little bit easier to you. See, if you haven't kept track of all of your own commitments, you'll always overcommit and never seen an exception to that. So the, the first clue and Q is to get it out of your head. Get all that stuff out of your head. And in whatever way, shape, or form, and again, if you're not familiar with the GTD process, you know, get getting things done, get the book, read the manual about this, go to a seminar, get some coaching on it. And, but basically, it's write it all down. Do it, do it, people. Now, I, I dump it all out, I write it down. I put it into my project list. Now I see that, I don't know, I have 70, 120 projects. How do I find out which one are the important ones? Well, there's some simple questions to ask. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, probably a gazillion, you know, consulting models about how do you think through strategies, priorities, and so forth. You know, a very simple one is which one of those projects, if they're actually completed or that you make significant progress on, would make the biggest difference to you? Then you have to go back and back up and say, okay, what would make the biggest difference to me would be clarify my divorce, clarify this thing, whatever. Which one of those things, if it were finished, would free up more psychic space for you? 
So that's oftentimes how I just make my priority decisions. Called what most has my attention right now that if I handle it or deal with it appropriately, it would free up more space. It's a personal criteria, not what's moving, I don't know, my business well, forward. Well, they're all, they're, they're all personal. How do I, you know, whatever your priorities as a parent, what are your priorities as a partner in life? I mean, how many roles are you playing? And what are your priorities about any of those things? And all of those really have to come down to what most matters to you if that thing is finished or handled. And, uh, you know, oftentimes that, that begs the question, or it certainly invites or challenges people to move up to these higher horizons of our commitments. Why are you on the planet? What's your vision of wild success career-wise, lifestyle-wise, you know, five years from now? What are the things you think you really need to accomplish in the next year or two? You know, what are all the things you need to maintain at some level of standard so you've got a healthy and sustainable enterprise or personal life? And then what are all the projects you have about all that? And then what are all the action steps you have about all the moving parts? Those are the six horizons you know, that GTD identified. Purpose, vision, goals, areas of accountability or responsibility, projects, and actions. And no one of those is more important than the other. It's just which one of those do you think hasn't been matured enough yet? Or which one of those horizons do you need to go to and remind yourself about or map you need to look at to make you feel more confident about which phone call you make, which errand you run, what conversations you most need to have next? What makes you, you? <laughs> Good question. Beats me. You know, just I am, you know, who, who I am and whatever this, you know, the, whatever the you know, spirit form of myself that showed up, that decided to show up on the planet to experience what I'm experiencing right now. That's, that's what made me me. Time management advice for young people who spend a lot of time on YouTube. Should they calibrate? Should they set boundaries? Should they prioritize? Well, everybody should set boundaries and prioritize, sure. Kids no different than anybody else. I just say, why are you watching YouTube? They may be watching YouTube to find out the next song they want to write that, so that they can buy their parents a really elegant mansion because they're going to make a gazillion dollars being the star kid on YouTube. Come on. <laughs> Look around. You know? So what's the reason they're there? And that's a challenging question for anybody. You know, why are you doing that to avoid your life? Are you doing that because that's inspiring to you in your life? Don't shoot the medium. Yeah, I guess my question is about how to deal with information, with input and information overload. Like I was, I was also questioning myself: how many magazines should I subscribe to, and how much of the news should I take in, and uh, where? Um, should I try to maintain some space to develop my own thinking every day? Beats me. I have no idea. You only have the answer to that. And that's probably changing month by month. You know, there'd be some times where you say, wow, I sort of feel attracted to reading all that stuff or having it all around me. And sometimes I go, God, it's just piling up and you know, I ought to get rid of it, clear the deck. I'm con I still do that. You know, I still have to reassess how much time am I spending doing these things, how much time am I spending doing these things, and that, that changes, changes based upon just my own perspective and context as they change. The GTD Summit is coming up. Is there still seats available? Who should come and why? 
wow, anybody should come who wants to have a kind of once-in-a-lifetime experience of a whole lot of very cool folks that are very wrapped around and, and in, involved in and interested in this methodology who happen to be some of the best and brightest, most productive people you, you'll ever meet you know, from around the world. So we just sort of raised the flag and it's been a you know, big uptake on it. So yeah, there's still, there's still space. You know, we've got a, a fairly large venue there. It's, you know, it, we're feeling quite successful with how, how fast it is. You know, people are signing up for it. And we've got some just wonderful folks. We've got over 40 presenters now who just on their own dime are coming and, and saying, yeah, I'm very happy, David, to you know, show my thanks for what GTD has done for me. And I mean, these are some of the you know, bright lights out there. You know, and some ver people you've never heard of that you will be glad you actually heard them. You know, people like um, like Katie Coleman, who's one of the first you know women astronauts. Mm. You know, that is, she's a huge GTD fan, and she she will talk about how critical GTD was for her and her team of astronauts. You know, on the space station, and she got coached actually in GTD while she was on the space station. So, you know, fun stories. So, I mean, that's just one of forty. Uh, very interesting people from all different walks and lots of different professions. So we'll, you know, we'll be focused on, you know, there are two sub-themes of the, of the, the summit, which are uh, the strategic value of clear space. And most everybody who will be talking there will, can probably talk to that in terms of what they did with more clear space, you know, in their, in their lives and how cool that was. And the second theme is there are no problems, only projects. And most of those folks can talk to that too, you know, how they just step up to some very interesting challenges and, you know, sort of applied the GTD model to make sure it, it, it happened and, and, and changed all that. So those are their, you know, GTD in education, GTD in parenting, GTD in, in healthcare, GTD in, you know, uh, corporate culture, GTD in strategy. I mean, there's lots of themes that we'll also be, you know, running through these two days. So it's going to be quite a rich, quite a rich event. Is there a question I forgot to ask? No. <laughs> you have some great ones, so this is fun. Thank you, David. Sure, my pleasure. It was an honor. Thank you for being part of this week's episode. We hope the ideas presented help you make an impact. Whatever you do, please keep rolling. If you encounter any questions, you can ask me anytime. Just go to strategiesprints.com and hit Ask Simon.